going forth there. We pray for Pastor Mark in Haiti, Lord. We just pray for your help. I know that there are challenging times. There's such great poverty. Um, there's just so much to, to overcome, Lord. But we know that it's nothing to you, that you are God over all. And so I pray you would encourage Pastor Mark that you would, um, just even this morning, he, as he gathers his church together, that they would be so encouraged in, in prayer and worship and studying your word, that you would bless them and draw them together. Lord, we pray for uh, the global missions. Lord, there's a volunteer team from Longview, Texas, going down to Rio de Janeiro this week. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them, that you would go before them, that those Brazilian brothers and sisters down there would be encouraged by this visit, that many would come to faith in you, and that, Lord, that you would be... Um, that you would be held high this week with that trip. Lord, we pray for the offering today. Lord, thank you that you call us to give of our money um, to you, to this church, that, that your word would go forth. And we just pray that it would be used in a way that's honoring to you, that's glorifying to you, and that we would truly worship you in our hearts as we give of this money, not out of obligation or out of fear or as slaves, but, Lord, that we get to worship you with that and lay down our lives and give to your church. And Lord, we pray for Grady as he shares this morning. Just pray that you would uh, help him to recall everything that he studied this week. We pray that you'd help him um, just to, to, to be able to convey to us um, the, the word that you have for us this week, Father. It's been a wonderful journey through this rooted series, through this catechism, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to build up your church and encourage us. And that you would give Grady just a wonderful sense of sincerity and genuineness this morning to just talk to his people, to, to the sheep that you've entrusted to this church, Lord. And that we would be built up by that and encouraged by that, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And boys and girls, first to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth graders, you're dismissed for kids' worship. Well, it's good to see you this morning, Gateway family, on Time Change Sunday. I'm glad you're all here and awake still and warm on this cold morning. I'm grateful for the blessing of us getting to gather together. Find Matthew chapter 6 in your copy of God's Word as the boys and girls are headed out to kids of worship. You'll find Matthew chapter 6. We're in a year-long journey of seeking to be more rooted and more grounded in what we believe to be united together as a congregation understanding the Word of God together. Now, as we go through the study, we're in the middle of a section right now on prayer. We're spending several weeks to talk about what is prayer. If you remember from two weeks ago, we saw that prayer is pouring out our hearts to God. As God delights in it as we get to pour out our hearts to Him. And last week, we saw with what attitude should we pray. We saw last week we were to pray with both humility and with boldness, how those are not opposed to each other. They go together as we understand who God is and the invitation we have, that we pray with humility and boldness. We're going to spend one more week today on the topic of prayer, and if you're following along in the New City Catechism that's guiding us, we're tackling questions 40 and 41 today, and our question today is, what do we pray? What do we pray? Friends, if we are to be pouring out our hearts to God, if we're to do so with humility and with boldness, what are those things that we should be talking to God about? Now, there's many sample prayers, if you will, in Scripture, many examples of what to pray throughout Scripture, all the way from the Psalms to Paul's writings. We see many prayers that we could emulate and learn from, but perhaps the most direct instruction for what to pray is found in Matthew chapter 6, which we come to this morning. It's called the Lord's Prayer, though perhaps a better name for this would be the Disciples' Prayer or the Model Prayer, because this is Jesus teaching his disciples what they should pray. And as such, it has so much instruction for us to answer our question, what are those things you and I should be praying about? We look this morning at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13, and as we read it, be looking for what are the things about which we should pray. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. We'll also have the words up on the screen 
for you. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for in your grace you've told us to pray. You've invited us to pray. Thank you that in your grace you've not left us wondering what we should talk to you about. But Lord, you've given us some clear instruction here. So I pray this morning that as we tackle a text that's so familiar to so many of us, but would you open our eyes to see the wonder of this and the instruction of this, that the familiarity of the Lord's Prayer would not cause us to miss what you'd have to say to us today. So take your word and use it to grow and mature us, your people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you. You may be seated. And hey, to the guys in the booth, could y'all turn those, the floodlights down on me a little bit so I can see better in the congregation? If those can dim down, that would be great just a little bit. So if there's a lot in this text. What are we to pray? Well, there's a lot we could say. You could, we could spend weeks on this. And friends, I was tempted this week as I was studying this to actually do this over several weeks. But I want us this morning to tackle these six verses in one sermon to see together the wonder of what Jesus is big picture telling us to pray. So here's what I want you to see this morning from this text. Jesus calls us to pray for God's purposes and for our needs. And I think we'll have that up on the screen for you. Jesus calls us to pray for God's purposes and for our needs. We have an invitation from the Lord to pray, to talk to God. But God in his grace has not left us wondering what to talk to him about. He has given us instruction of what should fill our prayers. And yes, that includes praying about our needs, but he also he invites us to pray about things much bigger than us, things that are about his purposes in the world. So we have a call, an invitation from Christ here in these verses this morning to pray about God's purposes and to pray about our needs. Now, there's a lot to that, so let's dig into this. I want you to see this truth from this text this morning. Notice these verses begin with a call to talk to God. Notice how Jesus begins in verse 9. There we go. Still, still bright. But, um, in verse 9 here, Jesus begins, pray then like this. Prayer here is the imperative. Prayer is the command. As you look at these verses, the word pray is actually an imperative. It is what Jesus is instructing us to do. This is God's will for every follower of Christ. If you know Christ and you're wondering, what is God's will for me? This is God's will for you to pray then like this. This is a call to daily be talking to God. Now, when we think of prayers, we've already seen the last two weeks, friends. Prayer is not merely just reciting words. Prayer is not some formal thing that we just have to do. This prayer is us having a real conversation with a God who loves us. Notice how Jesus begins this. Pray then like this, our Father. Now just stop right there. Friends, we say this so much. This seems so familiar to us, but do not miss the wonder of this. In the times Jesus was speaking, this would have been incredibly radical. This would have been shocking to people that we could call God Father. Because in the Old Testament, the Jewish people held up the holiness of God so much. They held up the sovereignty of God. They could not imagine using an intimate term to describe their relationship with God. And yet God calls us, and Jesus calls us here to use this familial term as we approach God. Why? Because it reminds us that we have been adopted by God. This reminds us that we belong to him, that we've been brought into a real intimate personal relationship with him where we can talk to him and call him Father. Now the word here, Father, is the word Abba. In the Jewish language at the time, it would have meant dearest father. This is the term that Jesus would have used in affection to describe his earthly father, Joseph. It's a term he used to describe his heavenly father. And it's a term that all the Jewish children at the time would use to show respect and love and affection for their fathers. And Jesus says, you can use this in talking to God, our Abba, our dearest 
Father. And so it shows us that prayer is familial, it's personal, it's relational. And friends, if we lose sight of that, our prayers become rote. They become formal. They lose the wonder of what we have the opportunity to do here. But Jesus takes it one step further. It's not just our dearest Father. He says, our Father in heaven. Friends, he's reminding us that prayer is not just this familiar relationship, but also the submitting to God. It's a submitting to, as we'll see in a minute, his will. This is the God in heaven who is a sovereign, all-powerful, reigning king. And if we lose sight of that part of it, our prayers become demanding and proud. And so instead, we approach our Father who loves us in heaven as the reigning one. And we come to him with boldness and humility. So what do we come to him talking about when we approach our Father in heaven? And what follows are six things that Jesus tells us to pray. And he gives us two big categories here. The first three have to do with God's purposes in the world. And the last three have to do with our own needs. So God's purposes and our needs. Now, before we jump into these six, a quick clarification here for us. When we talk about these, this prayer and this model prayer, this is not a command that every prayer you pray has to have all six of these elements in it. This is not a command that you go, oh my goodness, my prayer this morning, I forgot to ask this part of it. This is not what this is about here, nor is this an, an order you have to follow, that every prayer has to follow these particular six things. Friends, prayer is not a formula. Please get that. Prayer is not a formula that you do a checklist and say these particular things and God is pleased. This is a model to show us a type of things that should fill our prayers. This is a model to show us the priority of our prayers, the type of things that our minds should be thinking about as we talk to God in prayer. Prayer is a real conversation with a real God, not a formula or a checklist for us to check off. In light of that, friends, as we look through these six things that should be in our prayer life, let's ask the Holy Spirit to show us if there are areas where we're not praying as we should. If there's areas here where we're not focused on things, where our prayers are out of bounds, let's let the Holy Spirit search our hearts and show us if there are areas where God wants us to grow in our prayers and our asking. And as we do that, let's ask the Holy Spirit this morning to fill our hearts with a delight that we get to talk to the Lord about these things. So let's dig into what the six things are we get to pray, knowing that Jesus is calling us and inviting us to pray about God's purposes and our needs. Let's start with God's purposes. Look at verses 9 and 10. Here's the three things that we begin with. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, as we look at these three, before we jump into what these three are, something important here. It's easy for us when we look at these three to see these as praises, but that's not what these are. There, we know in Scripture, CJ showed us two weeks ago, that we should be praising God for his character, and that's a good thing. And so I think, though, because of that, we look at this text, and we see it more like, God, we praise you that your name is hallowed. We praise you that your kingdom is coming. We praise you that your will is being done. Now, there's lots of scriptures that show us praising God for things like that and call us to do that. That's not what this is. These are petitions. These are intercession. These are requests. We are praying specifically, God, we want your name to be hallowed more and more. Cause that to happen. God, we want your kingdom to advance more and more. God, cause that to happen. God, we want your will to be done more and more. Cause that to happen. These are not praises. These are requests that we are making to God, asking to do particular things. Now, what are the three things we're asking God to do here? The first one is we're asking for his name to be hallowed. We're asking for his name to be hallowed. Look back at verse 9 here. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, my guess is hallowed is not a word you've used in your conversation this week, right? This is not part of our everyday vocabulary. So what does it mean to hallow something? To hallow something means you set it apart 
is holy. To be hallowed is to be set apart as holy. It, it is to honor something. So we're asking God, we're petitioning God to honor something, to set something apart as different, as holy, as distinct. And what are we asking to do that for? Well, here in verse 9, hallowed be your name. Now, we've seen this over and over if you've been around Gateway, but when you see God's name, this means his character. Name represents the totality of who God is, all of his attributes and his nature. So we're asking God to hallow, to set apart as holy, to have something honored. We want his character, his reputation, his fame to be honored, to be hallowed, to be set apart. Now, clarification on that. God's character already is holy. God's character is already pure. God is already set apart in all ways. He always has been and always will be. So we're not asking him to be this. He already is this. Rather, we are asking here that people would recognize him being set apart, that people would recognize him as being holy and that he would be given the reverence, the worship, the respect, the honor that he deserves. Now, what does that mean? How do we actually pray this? Now, there's lots of implications for how we pray these six prayers. So as we look at each of these six things we can pray, I want to look at three different ways we pray about each one. How do we pray this for ourselves? How do we pray this for the church, for other believers? And how do we pray this for the lost? I want to use those three categories for all these. So when we come to this prayer, hallowed be your name, friends, that's not just something we stop at and move on and say the right words. What is this actually calling us to pray? Well, it's calling us to pray certain things for ourselves. Friends, as we pray, God, hallowed be your name, cause your name to be hallowed, we are asking that ourselves would know the character of God more and more. We cannot pray, God, hallowed be your name, without also in our hearts asking that we ourselves would hallow God, that we would know his character, that we would worship him for who he is, that we would love him for who he is. But friends, this also is a prayer because we hallow God, we show God as being worthy, not just by our words, but by our lives as well. So we ask God to hallow your name more and more. We're asking God to change how we live so our lives reflect more and more of his character. So our lives hallow his name and show that we believe he is worthy of living for him. So this simple prayer, hallowed be your name, is a prayer that should be transforming us also. As we pray, hallowed be your name, we should be praying this for one another. We should be praying by name for other believers. We know that they would grow in their knowledge of God, that they would grow in their love for God. They would grow in their delight of hallowing God's name, of worshiping his name. And just as we pray for ourselves, we should be praying for one another that our lives would more and more reflect the nature and character of God because we hallow God, not just with our words, but by our lives as well. But this simple prayer, hallowed be your name, is also a call for us to pray for non-believers that the lost would see God for who he really is, that they would become worshipers who instead of rebelling against God, hallow his name, love his name, and worship him. And so we pray by name for non-believing family members and friends and coworkers to become people who will hallow his name. And that's a lot to pray for just from that first one. They were saying, God, we want your purpose to be done. We want your name to be hallowed, worshiped, set apart in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of my friends, in the life of this church, and among even the lost who yet to know you. Please, Lord, hallow your name in all of these places. There's a second thing, though, that Jesus calls us to pray for here. He calls us to pray for his kingdom to come. We're to ask for his kingdom to come. Look at verse number 10 here. Your kingdom come. Just those three simple words. Your kingdom come. Now, what is God's kingdom? It's his reign. It's his sovereign rule over all things. It's the reminder that he is the one true king over all. So what are we praying for when we ask for God's kingdom to come? 
Well, there's actually a debate among the biblical scholars of what this means. There's three dominant views of what you're actually asking for when you pray, God, your kingdom come. Some people say when you pray, God, let your kingdom come, you're actually asking for the second coming of Christ to happen, for God to to hasten the day that Christ returns. When he makes all things right, when his kingdom is completely established in all ways and every knee bows and every tongue confesses, they're saying you're praying for that. Some people go, no, 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 what you're actually praying for where your kingdom to come is for the church to go love people. You're praying for the church to do good and serve people now and spread the love of Christ to a world. If you listen to Christian radio, there's a song that advocates for this, that with every act of love, you let your kingdom come. That's a popular view as well. But there's a third view that says, no, 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 you're missing that. What this is actually asking for in your kingdom come is about missions and evangelism. This is about the gospel going forth, and you're praying for God to send his church out with the gospel message to let the love of Christ meet people where they are so they can see their need to repent and believe. Friends, can I suggest we don't need to argue which of those is the view? I think they're all right because they're all biblical there. God's kingdom encompasses all of that. Yes, Christ is coming back and we long for that day. And we long for the Lord to hasten that day when all the brokenness is made right and we see every knee bow before the one true God and we see God in all of his glory. We long for that day and want to see that day come. Yes, the church has a mission to go send the love of Christ out. Yes, we are called to meet the needs of people here and around the world, to do good and to love people in the name of Christ. And yes, friends, we are called to go make disciples of all nations, to go to the unreached in Montgomery, the unreached to the uttermost parts of the world, to take the gospel. We have biblical commands for all of these. And so when we're praying, your kingdom come, friends, we're praying for all three of those things to happen. Now, again, that has lots of implications for what we pray. Again, that means we're praying certain of these things for ourselves. Friends, this prayer is a little bit scary. We, can ask, we cannot ask God to let his kingdom come if we're not going to let his kingdom come in our own hearts. This is a prayer for ourselves. We're asking God for our own sanctification. As we say, God, let your kingdom come, we're asking him to let his kingdom come in my life as I grow in submission to his reign over me, as you grow in your own holiness and obedience and submission to Christ. So we're praying for our own obedience that we would love God and we long for that day that Christ returns, that we would spread the love of Christ to people we meet, that we would take the gospel and be unashamed to make Christ known to the lost around us. We're praying your kingdom come and we're asking God to do it in us and through us. That means we also are praying this for one another, for Gateway and for other believers. We know that together we would grow in sharing the love of Christ. Together we would grow in taking the gospel to Montgomery and the gospel to the nations, that together we would make a difference, meeting the needs of people here and abroad. And again, friends, this means as we pray your kingdom come, we're praying this for non-believers. We're praying by name for non-believers that they would see that God is king and they would bow in submission to him before it's too late, that they would submit to God's reign in their lives. This means we pray for the unreached peoples in the world as well, for the missionaries would go, the scriptures would be translated, that God would be drawing the lost to himself, that God's kingdom would come among the nations. And so we begin this prayer praying for God's purposes, praying that he would cause his name to be hallowed and that he would cause his kingdom to advance in our lives, in our church, and in the world. But there's one more prayer in this first section of what we're to pray for God's purpose. And the third one is we're to pray asking that God's will would be done. We're praying and asking God's will to be done. Look at the last part of verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when we talk about God's will, friend, there's two aspects of God's will. It's what we call his revealed will in Scripture. This is God's commands of what we're to do and not to do, what it looks like to follow Christ, what he requires of his people. 
But it's also the second part of his will is his will in history. This plan that God established before time even began of how he's going to be making a name for himself and drawing a people to himself throughout all the nations to where at the end of time there'd be as Revelation 7 describes worshipers from every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. God's will is what he's doing in history to bring about that end. And so we pray for God's will to be done. We're praying for both. We're praying for obedience to the revealed will of God, and we're praying for a redemptive history to come to that conclusion when there's people from every tribe, tongue, and language around his throne. So how do we practically pray that? When we say, God, your will be done, what are we praying for? Again, friends, we're praying for ourselves. We're praying for ourselves, number one, that we would know the scriptures, because we cannot know the will of God apart from the scriptures. So when we say, God, let your will be done, we're praying in our own lives that we would love his word and we would grow in it so we can know his will. We're praying for hearts that want to submit to his will that we see in scripture. We're praying for grace to grow in obedience. And we're praying that God would help us do what he's called us to do, even when it's hard and even when it's uncomfortable and when it's costly to us. Friends, as such, the great reformer Martin Luther said, praying your will be done is one of the most fearful prayers in all of scripture. It's a fearful prayer saying, God, let your will, cause your will to be done in my life. One of the authors I read this week captured, I think, what Luther was trying to say. He said this, in praying this, let your will be done, we invite God to conquer us. Think about that. When you pray, God, let your will be done, we're inviting God to conquer us. He says, that's why this petition is so scary. When we pray this prayer, we are asking God to do whatever is necessary to make his will prevail in our lives. God, let your will be done. God, do whatever is necessary to conquer me, to let your will prevail in our lives. And this author I was reading said this, God answers, he comes with gracious, kind violence to root out all impediments to our obedience. He answers this prayer and he comes into our life with his grace, but with the hard things that have to be done to root out of our lives anything that hinders us doing his will. So we pray, God, let your will be done. We're praying for ourselves to know the word and respond to the word and for God to uproot anything in us that hinders us obeying him. Friends, hence we pray the same thing for one another, for other believers, for the church, that we would value God's word, that our conversation would move past the weather and sports and all those fun things to talk about, but talking about the word together, that we would treasure it together and we'd use it to counsel one another and encourage one another and disciple one another with it, that we grow in submitting to it and that we would gladly, as believers together in the church, be about God's will, making him known in the world. But friends, once again, this means, this guides how we pray for non-believers, that we would know that for the unbelievers we know and for the unbelievers around the world, that we're praying that they would come to gladly submit to the will of God, that they would bow the knee and we pray for that day when there are believers from every nation around his throne. So those are our prayers, friends, for God's purposes. We're asking God to let his name be hallowed, for him to be worshiped for who he is. We're asking his reign to be embraced by people. We're asking for his will to be done in our lives, in our churches, in the lives of other believers and non-believers bowing to him. That's where Jesus says begins. And that's only half of what he tells us how to pray. There's a second type of prayer we're to pray besides God's purposes, and those are prayers for our needs. Prayers for our needs. Because the reality is, friends, I have needs and you have needs. And so Jesus invites us to pray, to talk to God, to have a real conversation, not just using formal words, but have a real conversation with God about what we need. And the reality is we have physical needs and we have spiritual needs. And Jesus tells us to talk to God about both our physical needs and our spiritual needs. Let's start with our physical needs because that's what comes next. Look at verse 11. How do we pray for physical needs? We say to the Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Now, as we pray this, I want to remind us that God doesn't need us to give him information. God's not in heaven being like, oh, I didn't realize you didn't have that. Sorry. 
God doesn't do that. God is all-knowing. He knows everything. So when we pray to God, we're not giving God new information. We're not going to him to inform him of what our needs are. He already knows. If you go back a few verses to Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, he's already told us to not be like them. That's the Gentiles. Because your father knows what you need before you ask him. So God's not in heaven when we pray going, oh, I'm so glad you told me that. I had no idea. God already knows, but he's inviting us. Now go back to verse 11. He's saying to us, please come talk to me and say to me, give me this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. He's asking us to pray like this because he wants to build our faith as we submit our needs to him that he already knows about. And then he answers them and he develops in us, friends, a worshipful dependence on him. As we pray about our needs. Don't miss that. He's developing within us a worshipful dependence on him. As we talk to him about the needs that he already knows we have. But he wants us to talk to him about it. Because he wants to delight in answering. And he wants us to see our faith built as he does so. Friends, that means we should never be timid in talking to God about what we need. We should never be hesitant or reluctant to go to God and tell him what we need. You may be thinking here, but Grady, it only says our bread. How do we know this includes any of our needs? Well, bread was the staple of the diet at the time. This is what was eaten every day. It was the way they would ask for their food provisions. But bread is representative of any need we have for life. So this is an invitation not just to talk about what we need for lunch today or what groceries we need. This is an invitation to talk to God about anything we need for life. That means, for instance, there's no need we have that's too trivial to talk to God. God is not repulsed if you talk to him about your kid's runny nose. We talked to him about your financial concerns or about where the food's going to come from tomorrow or whatever need you have. God is not repulsed when we bring our needs to him. Rather, he invites us here to come and commands us here to talk to him about what our needs are. Again, friends, that has lots of implications for what do we actually pray about this. Following the model we looked at earlier, let's talk about what this means for ourselves. This means we're to be daily asking God to provide whatever we need. Whatever the concerns are in our heart, we're to be taking those to the Lord and asking him to provide. A little clarification here, this does not mean we become passive. Well, Lord, I ask you for food, I'm going to sit at home and wait until someone brings me food. That's not what this is calling us to do here, friends. Scripture is also very clear that God is calling us to work so we can provide for our families and work so we have excess, so we can be generous to others. And so we're praying, Lord, as you're able, would you give me the strength and the opportunity, even the job I need so I can provide for my needs and also so I can bless others who are not able to do that. So this is a prayer not just for me to sit at home and wait for someone to come bring me my meals. This is a prayer for me to trust God to provide, but also God to, to give me the opportunity to work, the strength to work, the help to work. We can bring all that to the Lord in these type of prayers to him. This also means we're praying some more things to one another, for other believers, for the church, asking for God's provision. Friend, this should be a part of our prayers for one another as a body of Christ, to be in community with one another where we know what each other's needs are so we can be praying alongside other people, asking God to provide for them as only he can, asking for their faith to be strengthened, asking for God to give them open doors for work if they're able to so they can bless others as well. My friends, this is also a call for us as a church to recognize that there are many needs and many people who are struggling in daily bread. It's not a call for us to say, God, would you go provide it for them some way? This makes us pause and look in our own hearts and go, Lord, how can we be part of your answer to this? Or how can you use us individually, us as a body of believers together, to provide for the needs of people here in Montgomery and around the world? This is asking God to grow in us a heart of compassion for the needy. But friends, this also means we should be praying for the needy here and the needy around the world. Asking God to provide as only he can. Asking the church, us and the church at large, to respond and to make Christ known. So we begin by praying about our physical needs. 
But friends, if our prayers are dominated only by our physical needs, we're missing a big part of what Jesus is calling us to pray about. Because there's more that he tells us to pray about. If you think earlier to Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus has given us the bigger picture that he said, it's written, man should not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, we have physical needs, but we also have spiritual needs. And if we're honest, in most believers' prayers probably, at least in the U.S., a lot of our focus is more on our physical needs than our spiritual needs. But Jesus is saying, no, no, we've got to keep both and be here. And that's exactly what he does in verse 11 to 13. Go back to this part of our text. And notice the ands here. The biblical scholars say that Jesus put these ands here to show us to not stop, but to keep going. Give us this day our daily bread and don't stop with that prayer. Keep going. That's good to pray that, but keep going. And pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors, but don't stop there. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He puts all these ands here to make sure we don't stop at what our hearts often stop about, and that's just what I can get my hands on, what I can see, what I need. He's saying, you have other needs as well, and keep praying about those. So it's a call here to pray for our spiritual needs as well. What are our spiritual needs? Well, there's many. He gives two here. The first is forgiveness for our sins. Forgiveness for our sins. Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Debts here is used to describe sin. It's to describe our offenses against God. This is a debt we owe to God himself because we've broken his law, because we've broken his standard, because we violated his will. And friends, how often do we sin? Every day. So how often should we be confessing our sins? That should be a daily part of our regular prayers to God. Now, two important clarifications on this. First, we do not confess our sins as believers now to gain God's forgiveness. When we trust Christ, God forgives us of every sin we had committed, we were committing then, and that we will ever commit. At the cross, every sin you and I, if you're in Christ, every sin we've committed was already paid for by Christ. We already stand forgiven. Our forgiveness is not dependent upon us every day saying the right prayer of asking for his forgiveness. He gives it to us freely as his grace in Christ. But friends, when we sin, it hurts our intimacy with God. It breaks our fellowship with him. So we day by day go to him seeking forgiveness because we want to be restored to a right relationship with him. Not because we need to be re-justified or re-forgiven or rededicated our lives to Christ. Rather, we already belong to him, but we've sinned. And so we want our fellowship restored to him. So we confess our sins to enjoy the forgiveness that he gives to us. A second clarification here, because this creates some confusion for people. Notice the second phrase in verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Friends, this is not saying you have to go forgive everybody else and then God will forgive you. If that was the case, there's now a condition upon grace. If that was the case, grace would not be unconditional. God would be like, okay, I know you want me to forgive you, but you haven't done this for so I'm withholding this and you can't be my child right now until you go do these things. That's not the testimony of scripture. What this is saying instead is that if we do not forgive others, it shows that we really have never understood God's forgiveness ourselves. There's a big difference in that. This is not a qualification for forgiveness. This is the evidence that we have forgiveness from God. I love how John Stott, the, one of the great theologians, said it. He said, once our eyes have been opened to see the enormity of our offense against God, the injuries which others have done to us appear by comparison trifling. I thought that was good there. When our eyes have been opened to see how great our offense against God is, when we think about the offenses others have done to us, it seems really trifling and small, doesn't it? That's what this text is all about, that if we get how much God has forgiven us, if we get how much our debt is against God, if we, forget how, if, we, if we realize how great his love is for us, then how can we not forgive others who've wronged us in only a tiny way compared to how we have wronged God? Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our 
debtors. Now, this has lots of implications, again, for how we pray. So how do we pray for ourselves in light of this, this, fifth, this fifth command right here? Well, we pray for ourselves, for God to forgive us of our sins. We pray that God would give us a growing understanding of his grace, that we would be captivated by his grace and we would rejoice in his grace. We pray that we'd be a people quick to repent of our sins, to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and to respond. And we pray here that God would give us much love to forgive other people. We wouldn't be quick to hold on to wrongs. We would be a people who understand we've been forgiven so much. How can we withhold forgiveness to those who have harmed us? So we pray those type things for ourselves. We also pray this for other believers, for one another. That together we would treasure God's grace, that we'd be a people quick to repent and to forgive, that we'd be a people who love showing grace and forgiveness to one another, to our spouse, to our kids, to our church family, to our coworkers, that we'd be, we'd be a gracious people who are quick to forgive and quick to love. But friends, it's also a reminder to pray for non-believers once again, that they would come to understand they've offended God. They come to understand that their debt is against a holy God and they will either pay for it for all eternity or they need to let Christ pay for it for them. And so we use this to, to pray that God would save them, that God would draw their hearts to himself so that they repent. So we pray for our spiritual needs, for the forgiveness of sins. But there's one last prayer here in terms of things we should be praying about for ourselves. And it's also about our spiritual needs. Look at verse number 13 here. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those are not two separate prayers, but that's a package deal. That is one prayer. And what the second thing is, is a praying for freedom from the power of sin in our lives. This is a prayer for freedom from the power of sin in our lives. When we pray to God, lead us not to temptation, rather deliver us from evil, we are acknowledging to God our great weakness. We are acknowledging to God that none of us are above any sin. This is a recognition that there is no temptation that I am incapable of falling to. There's no temptation that is beyond your reach as well, that we, apart from the grace of God, could fall into any sin at any given moment. And so we cry out to God for freedom from the power of sin, to ask for his sustaining grace, to hold us, to ask for his transforming grace, to be breaking us free from the power of sin. This is a prayer for God to keep us close to himself, to guard us from the lies of Satan, and for God to show us the way out when we are tempted. This is basically the same prayer as what Jesus told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is a great text to memorize on, meditate on when you're struggling with temptation. It says, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is, what? God is faithful. That's what we're just singing about this morning, friends. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. In other words, there's no temptation that you and I face that God has not first sifted out and by his grace that we could resist. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of what? Escape. Oh, friends, if we could embrace this and remember this in those moments, he always gives a way out so that you can endure it. So that's what we're praying in verse 13. It's the same thing here. Go back to our text. Say, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're asking for freedom from the power of sin. So what are some practical ways we can pray for that? First, for ourselves. When we pray this, we're asking God to grow in us a love for the word of God. Because we know that the more we know the word of God, the more we'll be able to fight those temptations. We're asking for God for strength to resist the temptation. We're asking God for growth and godliness. We're asking God for humility to seek help from other believers. We're asking God for the grace to do what James 5 says, to confess our sins to one another. We're asking God for grace to be free from the power of sin in our lives, to get help from one another so that we can find these ways out. I pray the same things for other believers by name, for freedom from Satan's lies and schemes, to, for growing love for the word of God, for growth and godliness, and for us to become a church 
but we speak the truth in love to one another. Where we're a people who are not afraid to help each other out in our, in our pursuit of the Lord, in our pursuit of trying to obey his will by his grace. But friends, it's also a reminder, lead us not to temptation, is a reminder to pray for non-believers. Because the only way they will tr- find freedom from their sins is in Christ. The only hope for them to not be slaves to sin is to follow Christ. So we pray that they will run to Jesus and find the freedom that they need. So let's try to bring those six things back together, friends. What do we pray? We're to pour out our hearts to God in prayer. We're to do so with humility and boldness. We're to talk to our Father who art in heaven, remembering that he loves us, but remembering he's sovereign over all things. What do we pray? Here's what we saw this morning. Jesus calls us to pray both for God's purposes and for our needs. And friends, as we pray these type prayers, not as a formula, not as just recitings, but if these become our heart cry to God, as we pour out our hearts over these things to God, God loves to answer these. God loves to show himself strong to answer these prayers, which, friends, goes back to that first one, that hallows his name. The first of all these requests happens. The more we pray, the more we submit ourselves to God, the more we ask God to do these things, the more his name gets hallowed as he shows his character, he shows his strength, as he as we sang about this morning, he does these type of great things as we ask him to do these. His name is hallowed. His name is glorified. So perhaps we should have said this morning, Jesus calls us to pray for God's purposes and for our needs so that God will be hallowed, so that God will be glorified, so that his name will be seen, his character will be seen for what it is as he responds to the prayers of his people and does things that only he can do. So I have a simple question for us this morning. And it's this, friends. Are we praying this way? Are we praying this way? I'm not asking, do you recite the Lord's Prayer before you go to bed at night? Do you read this prayer? But is this the type of things we pray about? Friends, if you think about your prayers over the last seven days, if I think about my week the last week since last Sunday, is this what my prayers and your prayers look like? Was my mind focused and was your mind focused on God's purposes? Were we asking for God's name to be hallowed for his fame? Were we asking about his kingdom purposes? Were we asking for his will to be done in our lives and the lives of the church and the lives of the lost. Friends, did our prayers this week include prayers about our needs, God to provide for us and to provide for others, God to give us hearts of compassion, God to turn our hearts to people in need? Did our prayers include prayers for forgiveness and prayers for protection? How much do we pray this week of, Lord, help my brother or sister who's struggling, let them find the way out. Lord, help me find the way out. Lord, help me be quick to confess. Friends, did our prayers follow these type things this week? Friends, if there are areas where we see that we're falling short in our prayers, there's areas where we're going, you know, honestly, I don't pray like this like I should. What do we do about that? We pray about it. Yes, we pray about our struggles with prayer. God invites us to talk to him about anything. And if we say, like, Lord, you know, my prayers have been focused really just on my own physical needs. I haven't thought much about my spiritual needs. I've certainly not been thinking about your kingdom. We run and we tell him that. He already knows. And he doesn't push us away when we come to him with that type of honesty. We come to him in our brokenness and in our sin and say, Lord, I'm not where I need to be in this. Would you help? And friends, God delights when his children come, run to him and say, would you help me learn how to pray, Lord? Would you send your Holy Spirit to me to turn my heart away from just my own interests, but to your purposes? Lord, help me focus on these things and ask the Holy Spirit to do it, to give you a heart to pray big prayers with boldness and humility, asking God to do the big things that only he can do. And let's watch his name be hallowed as he responds to his people as we ask these things in faith before him. Would you pray with me? Father God, what an incredible invitation that you've given to us, that we even get to talk to you. Lord, we deserve nothing but hell and condemnation and damnation. We've offended you. We spent our lives shaking our fists at you, saying not your ways but ours. 
and yet you gently call to us and tell us, I am your Father in heaven. Lord, help us treasure that this week. Help us not become so familiar with the fact that you're our Father, that you're the eternal God, that we lose the wonder of this invitation that you've given to us. I pray that this week in my heart and the heart of these precious brothers and sisters, that we be a people who would love and long to talk to our Father in heaven. Lord, remind us of your love for us. Lord, also remind us of your absolute sovereignty over all things. And through the work of your Holy Spirit, would you ground our prayers this week to be prayers that are both bold and humble, but all at the same time. Or as we think about praying, I can't help but think of the text in Philippians where you tell us in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to let your request be known to God. God, you've told us to pray about everything. Or even looking at these six categories in the Lord's Prayer. Or there's so much in that everything that I fall short in and I miss in my regular prayers. And my, my guess is for a lot of these friends, it's the same thing as well. There's prayers that we've lost sight of. There's prayers that have become self-focused. There's things that we've perhaps grown weary in praying for because we haven't seen you answer in our timeline. Would you take our feeble attempts to pray and would you grow them this week? Would you send your Holy Spirit to each one of us to stir our heart affections to want to talk to you, to stir our heart affections to trust you? And Lord, I pray if anyone here is weary of praying certain prayers, perhaps it's a non-believer they pray for for years or decades or some way they're needing your provision, they haven't seen it yet. Lord, would you this week remind them that you are their Father in heaven who loves them and give them the strength to press on asking and to keep on asking. Lord, help us not grow weary in prayer, but grow us in delighting and asking these things. And would you answer this week in such a way that our faith is built up, that we find the joy and that you get all the glory. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
understanding and ask the Holy Spirit to show you, is there an area that we've talked about this morning where God wants to grow you in your prayers this week and to ask him for grace to do so. Take a minute to do that. we close, we're going to put up on the screen for you the text we just read this morning, Matthew chapter 6, 9 to 13. I want us to read the Lord's Prayer out loud together as we've tried to mine through this morning some of the wonders and the depths of what we've seen. I want us to close this morning as a corporate prayer. As you notice that we read, these are all our Father and us. This is a prayer for Jesus' disciples to pray together. So I want us to end today praying this out loud together. You see the words up there on the screen. So let's say it together. Pray them like this. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And all God's people said, Amen to that. Lord, let it be. Have a good afternoon, Gateway family.